Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com.
from the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snow White. That was OAR singing the song Road Outside Columbus, recorded live at the 930 Club in Washington, D.C. on November 27th, 2002. How fitting. This is a podcast about Ohio. Thank you for downloading the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. This is Series 1, Episode 32, Ohio Steelhead. I've been going back and forth to Ohio for the past 11 years now. My wife grew up there, and her parents are still there. And I've known that there is great fishing in Ohio, but I never really did any kind of fishing. Just kind of sat around my in-law's house for the last 10, 11 years. I've known there's steelhead up in Ohio, but it wasn't until this year that I finally decided to make that drive up there and explore and find out just what kind of steelhead I could get into on my trip. A little more background information. My in-laws are Russian, and they pretty much only speak Russian at their house. So me sneaking away for 8 or 10 hours a day, I'm not really missed because I can't really converse with anybody else. Guests come and go all day long, and all they do is speak Russian. So I'm usually listening to music or watching movies on my iPod or surfing the internet or watching TV or just sitting around drinking beer. So this year I decided I was going to go steelhead fishing. This being the first road trip we ever took with a baby, I was very limited as to what gear I could bring, but we had to bring with us her bumbo, her bath, all of her toys, diapers, clothing, baby wipes. Um, in addition to all of our clothing, we had to bring our stroller, her car seat. So that made very limited space in the car. We also brought our schnauzer, Dr. Jones. We had to bring his toys, his food, all of his stuff with us. So I was relegated to the uh, little section behind the passenger seat and Kiersey's car seat. So I was able to bring one pair of waders, one pair of wading boots, one backpack, two rods, one reel, and whatever fishing tippets, line, leader, flies, lanyard, etc. could go in that backpack. My camera, fingertipless gloves, net gaiters, hats, and a wading jacket. That all had to fit in that little space. So I packed very lightly, and uh, it turns out, for once, I actually packed enough gear. So we left on Christmas Eve about 5 or 6 in the morning, and we stopped at Cabela's. Like I said in the last podcast, that's when I got my new landing net. So that's more stuff to put in the car. And then we drove to Columbus. We got there Christmas Eve about 3 or 4 in the afternoon. And I started doing research while there. However, before we left, you know, I knew nothing about Ohio Steelhead. So I went online, did some Google internet researches. I had been to the Mad River Outfitters fly shop on Bethel Road in Columbus before. And I went on the Itinerant Angler podcast slash message board website and threw out, hey, I'm going Ohio Steelhead Alley fly fishing, any tips, suggestions. So I got a bunch of river names from websites. I got information from the message board and from other podcasts I've listened to and downloaded. And there's also that movie um, by R.A. Beatty a couple years ago. I think it was called Drift. And that had fly fishing in Cleveland, Ohio. The next podcast is sort of going to be just on this, how to plan a fly fishing trip to someplace you've never been with just sort of the internet and research and talking to people, how to plan a trip. So we'll just skip ahead and say that I've done the research. I'll explain how later. One of the websites I came across was the Ohio Department of Natural Resources.com slash wildlife. And it had 
maps of rivers around Cleveland, Ohio that had steelhead and it had information about water levels. That's all I had to go with. So the day after Christmas, I went over to the Mad River Outfitters fly shop and I had the printout that had all the different maps on it and had a little pad of paper and I walked in and of course you always plan on buying something. It's respectful to purchase something from a fly shop just for them giving you information that you need. It's sort of um, a way to thank them. And before I even started purchasing stuff, I had a little basket with me. A guy behind the counter introduced himself. His name was Lou. And I said, hey, I'm in town. I don't live here. I've always heard about fly fishing in Ohio for steelhead. Any suggestions? And he you know, leaned onto the counter and I started taking notes. And he said, Chagrin River, I've got a guide who's a friend. He said, it's going to blow up by the end of the week. If it's not there, go to this, that, and the other river. And I said, great, you know, where should I go? And he said, um, Chagrin River, start at uh, Todd Field. If that doesn't work, go up towards the dam. I said, okay, that's some good information to start with. And we started talking and probably spent about 15, 20 minutes just discussing different flies, techniques there. He said to start off with an egg fly and tie on a trailing fly of a woolly bugger or an egg-sucking leech. Said that there's a maximum three-fly limit in Ohio. And I said, that's just way too many to get tangled, so I'll stick with a tandem rig, which is two. And I thought I had pretty good information of where to go, and I said I'd be going out the next morning. I was going to get my license online, and um, said I needed to, to shop around. I forgot my information. So I went around, spent about 30 minutes in the fly shop. I had to make it sort of quick because my wife and mother-in-law had, I don't know, like a hair appointment or something somewhere, or pedicures, manicures, who knows. So I had about 25 minutes left. And I shopped around. I picked up some zonker strips and some barbell eyes. Got some, I don't know what else I got, but I got a whole little shopping bag full. It would have been nice to have, you know, been able to drop like a hundred bucks in the fly shop as, you know, appreciating, but I've got plenty of stuff and I usually just pick up $10, $15 worth of tying materials anytime I visit a fly shop. So I left there and on the way out, I noticed there was a, uh, SUV in the parking lot and the license plate was spay cast. So I thought that was pretty cool. Some love for the two-handed rods in Ohio. So I got home and I went back to the Ohio DNR website. I'll link you on the blog, which is flyfishingconsultant.blogspot.com. Or you can go to my website, robsnowwhite.com, and you can go to the podcast page and then find Series 1, Episode 32, Ohio Steelhead. And I printed off the Chagrin River Lake Gioga and Cuyahoga County steelhead trout fishing map. And it's got all the roads on it. It has a legend which has a depiction of a fish eating a hook, steelhead trout fishing locations, with locations numbered from the mouth of the Chagrin River at Lake Erie all the way out to the suburbs. East Lake Seawall, Borax Landing Boat Ramp, Mitchell Field, Chagrin River Park, Gilson Park, Todd Field, Daniels Park, North Chagrin Reservoir. So there you have it. Todd Field and North Chagrin Reservoir. So I typed in to the Google directions to find out how far this location was from Columbus. It was about two hours and 48 minutes. So I prepped my flies. I was drinking, um, brought a case of Guinness cans with me from Costco. If you don't know, if your Costco sells booze, you can get a case of the tall boy Guinness cans, the one pinters for $25. So uh, it's a pretty phenomenal deal, and uh, I learned on my trip that Russians don't like Guinness, or at least the ones I am related to now. So I had all that case to myself. 
So I had my pint glass of Guinness and I was going through my flies and I probably had six or seven boxes, a couple of plastic ones with loose worms and nymphs and midges and sucker spawns and crystal meths. And then I had the fly boxes with the woolly buggers and egg sucking leeches and woolly worms and on and on just a plethora of steelhead flies. So hopefully something I had the fish were going to bite. I got up at about six thirty seven AM and it was just dark and pouring on the 27th. I mean, absolute downpour the kind of day you just want to stay in bed and just not get out and uh my wife comes downstairs so i'm on the guest bed or the guest sofa their, their sofa is more comfortable than the guest bed so i'll take that thing any day it's one of those oversized just plump stuff sofas midway usa brand product designers have one straightforward goal develop high quality technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com And she's like, hey, you going fishing or not? And I looked out the window and I was like, pouring rain? That's not going to stop me. So I got out my layers, you know, I put on the the base layers and the wool socks and the wool sweater and the fleeces and all that and grabbed all my gear and got in the car and, and typed in my GPS for, um, I don't know what I put in. I think I actually found the exact address for Todd Field. So I get out on the interstate and I'm heading north through Columbus and it's just dark and pouring. And I pull out my yellow polarized glasses. Amber is a great color for all around fishing, but yellow you just can't beat for an overcast rainy day. I used to have these really good Orvis ones, and I lost them in a little boating accident. So I've got these cheap ones made by Flying Fishermen. They're plastic. They're very, um, they look like what a baseball player would wear in the outfield. They're $19 on Amazon, and they're extremely comfortable. They fit right over the nose, and they've got little brackets in the top to let out steam if you start fogging up and, and you know sweating. And you can interchange the lenses. And for 20 bucks, I mean, they're not that bad. So I put those on and it made the day a little bit brighter and started playing the podcasts of Mike O'Mara's show, Orvis Fly Fishing Podcast, Itinerant Angler Podcast, and, and the Fish Stick. So I've got all those podcasts to keep me entertained. And the, the rain starts turning to sleet. It starts turning to snow. It starts turning to a wintry mix. It's just nasty out, but... It's steelhead fishing. You know, rain delays are for baseball, as the Sims ad said. If I can only find that picture somewhere out there, somebody's got an old fly fishing magazine. I know my parents made me get rid of all of mine. I had all of my fishing magazines from high school and college and until I moved out of their house in their basement. And when they read in the basement, they kicked me out. So I cut out a couple of cool photos. Um, there's that one of the guy standing on top of that crashed plane on the Marquesas Islands outside of Florida throwing a line couple other ads, but I don't have the one that said rain delays for baseball. The Sims guy in the water. If you find that, send it to me. I will send you a beer can koozie to wear around your neck. All right, back to the podcast. So I'm like an hour away and then 40 minutes away and then 30 minutes, 20, and I'm finally nearing and it just starts raining again and it's just overcast. And I pull out into uh, the town of Willoughby, Ohio, and I've been on the road now for three hours almost. It's about 10 a.m. and I stop it the Wendy's to uh, hit the head because I don't know where I'm going to be fishing. I don't know if there's bathrooms. And I drive through Old Town Willoughby. 
And I'm going through residential neighborhoods and stop signs. And I'm thinking to myself, how lucky are these people that they've got a steelhead river in their backyard? I mean, hopefully they all steelhead fish, but you know, in essence, they probably don't. And I get down there and I'm driving through the old, old town Willoughby, which is like, you know, the candle shop, the clock shop, the butcher, the, uh, the pharmacist, you know, the coffee shop, the pub. And I turn down to the last road to the parking lot. And I see all like four or five guys standing outside the sub restaurant. And I'm like, that's where I'm hitting up after lunch. So I just make a mental note and I drive down the parking lot. I get out and it's windy and pouring and I got to start putting on the waiters and layers just because it's just nasty i mean it's as nasty as it's gonna get wool fingertipless gloves and i'm wearing the cheap ones right now from the army navy store in tyson's corner virginia they're four dollars a pair so if you soak them you can just put on another pair because they're inexpensive and then my backup pair were my nice barber wool ones from scotland those things are just phenomenal so as i'm stringing up a guy pulls in the parking lot and uh he pulls out a two-handed rod and i'm like hey you know how's it going is this a good fishing spot you come here often? And I don't know if he thought I was trying to pick him up or what, but he just kind of looked at me and just kind of uh, just grunted and strung up his rods and then went down the river. And I'm like, okay, so nice for being like friendly fly anglers around here. And the first thing you notice when you get to the spot is the cliffs. The other side of the river is just a rock wall of granite, like three, four stories high. The water's like this milky kind of grayish tinge from the rain. And there's a bunch of riffles right there. And then just brown and orange and dead tree branches and trees on the side from, you know, it being winter. So I walk down there and I figure everybody fishes this hole right there in the parking lot. So I string up my rod. I put on an orange egg sucking bugger with uh, an orange, sorry, orange egg part. The bugger's purple. And then I have a trailing crystal meth behind that. And I walk down, I see the nice first big deep hole, the bend in the river, and that curmudgeon from the parking lot's already throwing line through there. So I'm like, all right, I'll sit and watch him for a little bit, and then I'll, you know, head up river. And he's standing about thigh deep and he's throwing some line out. It's kind of fun to watch someone else throw line every once in a while when you're not instructing somebody and you're not fishing yourself, just to sit up high on the bank and watch. So he's just swinging whatever through there. And, um, you just see like just water just pelting all around. He's got his hood up. He's got his gloves on. He's just hunkered down for the day. So I move upstream and I start fishing these little riffles that are right by this baseball field or soccer field, whatever it was. And, you know, just beautiful riffly water, the kind I'm used to fishing for steelhead. And the only place I fish for steelhead, which is the salmon river, New York. And I'm swinging and I'm swinging and lose a couple flies, re rig. And I'm walking upstream and, and absolutely nothing. So I climb out and decide I'm going to go upstream maybe, you know, walk a little bit farther. Maybe most people kind of stick to the parking lot. And I get up there, and I don't think I've seen a muddier trail along a river since I was in Amazon in high school. It was like four inches of muck. It didn't matter, matter how good your cleats are or what the soles of your wading boots were made out of. This stuff was like walking through like pudding. And it was a well-defined trail, so I tried to walk on the edges of it. But, I mean, I was slipping and sliding. I mean, any little, like, one-foot incline, I slid down like like I was on skis. And I ended up falling down to the riverbank when I got to the next hole. The next hole had a nice beach, and there was a bunch of riffles and some deeper water and a cut bank on the other side. And I get out there, and 
the rocks on the bottom, there's no real sand here. It's all, I guess, shale, um, like silver dollar to dinner plate size pieces, anywhere from a centimeter thick to about three quarters of an inch. And it's like walking on just stacked dinner plates. And I'm out there and I'm throwing a 11 foot eight weight switch rod with a 400 grain Rio outbound shooting head, about a nine or 10 foot leader and maybe two BB split shots. And I'm bouncing the flies on the bottom, and I'm just hooking the bottom left and right. That substrate of those stacked rocks just makes all these little nooks and crannies where I'm just hooking into them and no fish. So I move upstream, and I finally see a fish. It just happens to be a, a dead steelhead on the riverbank with its eyeballs eaten out and something pecked at it. So at least I know there's fish in this river. And I keep moving upstream and upstream, and the only thing I'm really encountering are Riffles in the middle, shallow where I'm standing. The far bank has cut banks along the, the edge. And I'm throwing line and drifting and just, I'm not catching anything. I'm starting to see just more of the river. I'm pay, paying more attention now to my surroundings. There's a lot of broken glass in the river. It's sort of like sea glass, not like sharp, but rounded and buffered on the edges. Blues and turquoises and peaches, clears and like seafoam greens. And there's chunks of tile, like blues and whites, like, there was once a bottle factory upriver and maybe like a tile store that just dumped all their leftovers in the river. And I'm fishing, I'm fishing, and I find this one deep pool and I start walking into it and it's all just mucky sand and I start getting like every step. So I'm getting deep, like up to my belly button. So my backpack's almost getting wet. So I decide, bail it, I'm going to fish from shore and I'm throwing some you know, little roll casts out there and trying to see if I can get a good deep drift through there. And five, 10 minutes later, nothing. And it's just pouring. And, and I'm wearing uh, the Patagonia jacket. I should have worn the Kokatat, but you never know. You only had room for one. So I picked that one. Water's like getting in the neck and I'm just getting cold. My feet are cold. So I go up to the next wall, which is sort of the dead end. I've probably walked maybe a mile from the parking lot. And it gets really shallow on that wall, and I figure, you know, there, this is it for me. I'm getting hungry. It's probably three in the afternoon now, so I'm going to cross the river and start heading back. And I go back, and I fish above those undercut banks, and you know where to fish because you see flies and bobbers and strike indicators hung up in the trees. So that's sort of, you know, people have been fishing there, so there's a good chance there's fish there because I know nothing about this river. I don't know where the good spots are. I'm just going in it completely uneducated. So that's, you know, an, an idea that, hey, maybe there's fish there. So I go down, I wade out into some of the spots that I couldn't get to from the other shoreline because there were um, drainage pipes coming in with fast water flowing from the rain or there were really high banks that were too covered in trees. And I'm throwing and I'm sinking and I'm stripping and I'm drifting and I'm swinging and I'm only hooking bottom. It's another 30, 40 minutes of this, and I'm just like, screw this. I'm wet. I'm cold. I'm going to go home. I'm sure my wife probably needs relief from the baby. And uh, I pack it up. I probably, I think I lost at least a dozen tandem rigs, so 24 to 30 flies altogether in just four or five hours of fishing. That's that's why you tie flies, because if I was in a store, each of those egg-sucking leeches would probably have been like three bucks, and I can whip them out fairly quickly. And I've got three boxes of them for sale. So if you want to buy some, shoot me an email. So that's it. I pack up. And as soon as I get into the car, wouldn't you know it, that rain turns to snow. 
I'm not talking like little flurries. I'm talking silver dollar sized, small pancake sized snowflakes. It's beautiful all of a sudden. Why couldn't it be doing that when I was fishing? So I drive up to the sub shop and the sign of the door says, I've got the menu here. What about Bob's ultimate subs and wraps? So I walk in and this place looks angler friendly. I had taken off my waders. I'm just wearing my camo pants, but it sort of had rubber mats like coming from the doors to the counter. And I look up and you know, it's, it's pretty tempting. I'm like, well, five guys outside couldn't have been wrong. So I order the number eight, which is Bob's ultimate roast beef sub, juicy roast beef, lettuce, onions, tomatoes, mild peppers, garlic, provolone with Bob's horseradish and sub sauce. I get the uh, 12 inch small. I swear it was like 16 inches. It was huge. It was bigger than 12 inches. And the guy pulls out a baguette flute from the oven. And I'm like, dude, this isn't like some shabby, like dive shop sandwich place. These guys are serious. So he's stuffing my sandwich. I mean, it's like huge. Now I run to my car. I get my Tervis tumbler with my guy, Harvey leaping tarpon on it. A 24 ounce drink. And I fill it up with some Dr. Pepper mixed with a little bit of Coke. Cause I need some caffeine. And I go to my car and I turn on the heat to get the, the um, windows defogged. And by the way, I paid $6 and 50 cents, I think for like 16 inches of sandwich and like a 32 ounce soda. Where did they get these prices? It was awesome. And I take that first bite. And the first thing I think of is I haven't had bread this good since Paris. In fact, this bread was probably better than the boulangeries when I was walking around Paris and I ate a lot of food in Paris. I was only there for four days, but This was phenomenal. It was crunchy. It was chewy. There was bursting flavors and textures. And oh my God, this was like the best sandwich I have had in years. And I will be doing a podcast coming up about places to eat while fly fishing. So this will be on the list. You heard about it first. It was awesome. And it was in view of the river. So I ate the first half and I'm like, well, do I want to come back here again? And the second thought was, I lost a ton of flies. I need some strike indicators. And I remember from my internet research, there was a Chagrin River Outfitters nearby. So I type into my phone. I find out it's 18 miles away. And I'm like, I'm going to go get some fly time material. Maybe they have some holographic flash, which I need. I'll get some thingamabobbers, and I'll find out some other spots to fish. So I'm eating my sandwich. I'm driving along, and I'm drinking my soda. And It was Pepper Town Pike, I think was the road. And it was beautiful. I mean, just snow covering the ground and huge flakes and these huge houses that were set off with huge yards. It made McLean, Virginia and Great Falls just kind of look ugly. So I'm driving there and I mean, it's a beautiful suburb and each sort of town you get to has like a a nice sign in the ground that says like, welcome to the village of whatever. And it's wrapped like a nice, what were those candy canes with some wreath on it? It was just beautiful with the snow. It was very holiday-esque. And I'm driving these little one-lane roads, and just it was so much fun. And I'm about two miles away from the fly shop when I notice a bunch of turkeys. I guess you call them a flock of turkeys, like big old turkeys on the side of the shoulder. And all of a sudden, they fly right in front of my car like they were playing some game with me, trying to make me run off the road like those squirrels in the Geico commercial. These things went right over my windshield wiper, scared the crap out of me. And then they landed on the other side and were just like laughing to themselves. Like we got the tourist. So I pull into the fly shop and um, 
downtown Chagrin Falls was absolutely beautiful. Little buildings, lovely architecture. And um, I parked maybe 30, 40 feet from the fly shop. It's right next to like a little one light intersection. I walk in and it's just got the smell of a fly shop, of time materials and flies, the smell of Gore-Tex and fresh cork grips and hardwood floors. And it just felt like a place where you could sit down if they had a fireplace and just drink a cup of coffee and just hang out and talk fishing. And the one employee was talking to a guy. They were looking at some Sims waiters. And I started sniffing around. I made a beeline to the thingamabobbers. And instead of getting the mixed bag, I'm a big fan of the peachy ones. So I ended up getting a handful of individual ones. You pay a little bit extra, but I don't like the white ones or the yellow ones. I like the peach ones. And I say, hey, you know, I've got this map I printed off. From the Ohio DNR, um, I fished here at Todd Field today and was wondering if that's where I should go uh, maybe tomorrow or the next day when I come back up here. And he's like, oh, let me show you a spot. So he takes out a ballpoint pen and he starts drawing on my map and draws a circle and says, this road right here, and there's a log right there. He draws a little log and he says, here's another spot. You park there and you walk here and it's all elaborate. And he puts it on the counter, put the thing with bobbers on top, and I start looking around and Really colorful, bright steelhead tie materials. Small fly shop, but they had a plethora of material. So I pick out some Danville fly wax nylon, and I pick out the thingamabobbers, and there really isn't anything else that I need. I didn't see that flashaboo. There's some things I always buy, which is going to be uh, chartreuse, ostrich plumes. They didn't have those. And I felt I had enough stuff um, at home. I always have. So bought about $10 worth of gear, and uh, I thanked him. His name was Bill. And I said, I appreciate the help, and um, you know, hopefully I get back out tomorrow and catch some fish. So I uh, start driving out, and it starts just dumping. I mean, snow like I haven't seen in about two years since the blizzards we had in D.C. The roads are covered, and there's no plows anywhere. And um, about 30 minutes later, I realized I left that map on the counter. So I'm SOL for the next couple of days. So I made a mental note of where he, he drew those so I could get home and print them out and draw it again. And I get back on the road, and uh, I start getting a little hungry, so I finish my sandwich before I get on the interstate. And by the time I get on the interstate, it's completely covered with snow. It's dumping. And I got the podcasts going, and it turns out to be a three-and-a-half-hour white-knuckle drive of me gripping the steering wheel in the center lane because the left lane hadn't been driven on, and the right lane was all trucks, and the middle lane was for cars. The trucks on the right-hand side were spitting up snow and covering my car, and it was dark and it was not fun. So I got back and uh, told everybody, oh, by the way, I didn't catch anything that day. So I went back and said, hey, I got skunked, but you know, I was steelhead fishing in Ohio in the snow and the rain. It was awesome. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. 
They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So I go upstairs, I print off the map, and I start drawing on it and start planning my trip for the next day. My wife says, we need you here the next day. You're going to go out on Thursday. So there you have it. That's part one of this podcast. So Wednesday, I call the fly shop and say, hey, is Bill there? And the guy's like, no, Bill's not here. How can I help you? So well, I was in the shop the other day, and I left a, a map on the counter. And he said, Chagrin River map. You got uh, Dodd Road and Rogers Road circled. I'm like, that's the one. I was like, well, I forgot it. I was going to go fishing uh, tomorrow, but I didn't have the map. He's like, well, don't go tomorrow. The river's blown out from the four inches of snow we just got the other day, which was the snow I drove in. He said, once the river drops below 400 cubic feet per second, you're good to go. I said, thank you. You just saved me a three-hour drive to these new locations. So I go through my flies and reorganize things and get the thing of ours ready and get some leaders tied up and dry out my hats and gloves and raincoats and just kind of hang out for the day. And um, the days kind of ran together in Ohio because we didn't do much except hang out and cook. We went to the restaurant depot and this is going to bore you, but I made enough roasted yellow pepper soup for about 40 people. So I wake up early on Friday morning, which is December 30th. And I make the drive up and it's just gloomy. I didn't see the sunrise. I mean, I saw like a little hue on the horizon, but it was just gloomy. There was no precipitation, but it was cold. It was probably like 26, 27 degrees. And I stopped for gas at 313 a gallon. And I tried to wipe my windshield clean and the blue fluid was frozen solid. So I drive up there and uh, I've got someplace on my GPS plugged in. The exact locations that were circled weren't there. So I end up at the um, Cleveland District Parks Fishing fisherman's location and i pull in there's four other cars there and as i'm stringing up this kind of old timer shows up and we start talking i said you know i've never fished this area is it good he's like well you you can go upstream you can go downstream there's not a whole lot of fishing locations here he said where's your um waiting staff i said oh i was limited by what i could bring so i didn't bring it with me he's like oh you need a waiting staff he said that you can find gaps in the upper section between the sheets of shale and slate i guess and in between them, the sand is going to um, deposit and you step your stick your foot in there and you're going to get stuck. So I told him I'd find a stick on the shoreline if I was crossing and I'd be careful. He said, uh, well, have fun. He was a spin fisherman. He was going upriver. I was like, well, I'm going to go downriver. And I go downriver and I start throwing and I don't see much action. There's some nice riffles, a couple deep pools along sunken ro- um, logs, just ideal spots for fish to hang out. But I'm not seeing anything. It's warming up now. It's maybe 30, 31 degrees. And, you know, I'm walking back and forth. I'm starting to sweat. And I walk down to um, the confluence of this little creek and the river. And then the river takes a huge bend. And there's another three-story just mud wall and a just deep pool. And there's two guys standing right in the middle of the pool, the place where you want to be swinging your flies. I'm like, all right, well, that looks like a good spot. And I can't cross here. And I can't cross that hole. So I'm going to go upstream, cross, and go around them. And I forget the name of the tree. It's hollow. It has very small white flowers in the summertime. It's all along the banks of the yellow breaches in Pennsylvania. That's the first place I saw. And it's just dead all along the shoreline. So I'm walking through this thicket. And I'm telling you, my sunglasses are fogging up. I have to take off my hat. Got to take off the net gaiter. Got to take off the gloves. I'm sweating profusely from trudging through this thicket. 
It would have been easier to walk through the river, but the river was too deep. Eventually, I come across after 200 yards of trudging to these guys that were in the hole. So you got two guys in the hole and one guy is tying on a knot or tying his fly. I said, hey, man, how's it going? And he just looks up at me and is like, hmm. Goes back down to his flies. I'm like, what is it with the anglers in this area? They just, they're just not friendly. So I go down about maybe 60, 70 yards below them at the tail out of this big pool. And I'm throwing the egg sucking leeches and the sucker spawn combo and just nothing. And I walk downstream and I find some nice riffles and fish and nothing. Then another guy comes out of the woods and I sit down and kind of watch him fish. He's got a big old net on his back. So I'm watching him, nothing. And uh, see a huge crayfish on the shoreline, so I know there's some kind of life in here. And there's also clams, like dead clams on the shoreline. Like clams that are big enough that like caveman could have made shovels out of them. These things were like the size if you put both of your palms out together. So I knew no, there's something living in here. I know that Bill wasn't yanking my chain telling me to go to the spot like on some snipe hunt. And uh, so that guy's swinging like a nine-foot rod, and he's in the middle of the river. And it's still kind of off-color, but you know, no precipitation. And I walk down maybe another half a mile and just nothing. Um, I'm like, all right, screw this. I'm getting hungry. I know I'm not near Willoughby, but I'm going to end this trip on a high note. I'm going back to Bob's for a sandwich because it was that good. I'm going to drive 18, 20 miles that way, eat, and then drive back. So I start walking out, and I talk to the guy who had the big net, and he's like, man, I haven't caught anything today. But he's like, they're fishing here. This is my spot. This is where I come when I fish. So I walk upstream, I noticed those three guys had left that huge deep hole. One of them was down in the lower tail out where I had just finished. One of them was standing on the other shore just staring, the guy who wasn't talkative. And then their buddy was up on top of that like huge hill where the river was carved out of the wall. I'm like, well, if they're not here, I'm going to go fish. So I walk up there and I'm like, man, it's a deep hole. I'm not getting any luck with the egg-sucking leech or the sucker spawn, so I'm going to... I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to put on a popsicle fly. Popsicle fly is super easy. This one was red, yellow, and orange with like a crystally green lime chenille um, ball in the front like an egg. And I tied it on Joe's boat when we were steelhead fishing and salmon fishing in October. I put on two 3-0 or three o split shots and I cast upstream. I drift, drift, bounce, 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 and nothing. And... One guy who would be fishing the tailouts comes up and he's just standing like 20 feet below me. And I cast three more times. So that's four casts. On the fifth cast, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to see how far I can just throw this freaking fly. And I strip out line and I throw the line behind me and I haul it forward and throw it back and I shoot it out. And I probably shoot out 70 feet of line, start mending, mending, mending. And then the fly swinging down right towards the tree that's at the end of the hole and it's about to just end its drift. Bam! Tug on my line. I set the hook, lift the rod, start reeling in with my large arbor, and I see a big old steelhead, milky, silvery white on the end of my line with that big fly in the corner of its mouth. And it's coming at me, and I'm reeling, reeling, and it's fighting, and it's going back out, and I'm reeling and reeling, and finally I get the fish. I don't got my net. I left that net that I just got at Cabela's in the car. So I put the rod down, and I grab the tail, and I pick it up, and I'm like, Woohoo! I caught a steelhead. And um, I hand it to that guy, and I'm like, here, dude, hold this fish while I get my camera. You're taking my picture. And he's just like, uh, okay. So I hand him the fish, and I start taking a bunch of pictures, getting the light setting adjusted, because it's really just dark and gloomy out, and it's overcast, so not a lot of vibrant colors. But I didn't want it 
overexposed, didn't want underexposed. So I was like, all right, dude, I got it. Here's my camera. Just hold down the button. I'm going to kneel in the water, wet the fish, lift it for the hero shot, grip and grin. So I'm holding the fish up and he takes like seven pictures and I'm like, here's it horizontally. Here's it facing you. Here's it at an angle. And um, he's like, dude, that's awesome. Should I take more pictures? And I'm like, just keep taking pictures, man. It's digital. So I put the fish down to kind of get, um, let it get its breath before I want to take my camera phone out and get a picture to upload to Twitter. So I put the fish down and it just takes off from my hand. I didn't, you know, without even like resuscitating it, it takes off. It's still got the fly in its mouth. So I grab the leader and of course the leader, it's eight pound cigar floral pops. So he swims off with the fly in its mouth. And I'm like, well, of course it's going to be the fly that I've only got two of. So um, I'm like, well, it's debarbed. He's probably going to rub it out. He should be okay. He swam off strong. I think the guy shake his hand, tying the next popsicle, and we start fishing together. Turns out he'd never been fishing before in his life. His buddies took him out that day, and it just happened to be fly fishing. So I gave him some tips and pointers and gave him some flies, and we fished together a little bit. I had that second popsicle on. Like second or third cast after I caught my steelhead, I snagged it on the bottom. And we start talking. I'm like, hey, you know, I was at Willoughby the other day, and I didn't catch anything. And he's like, oh, there's always fish down that way. I'm like, well, I went to this phenomenal sandwich shop, and I start telling him about Bob's. And um, I'm like, you know what? I'm packing up. I'm going to Bob's. Like, see you guys later. They start walking out. I grab my backpack, cut my flies off, cross the river behind them, and go up to my car. Still wearing my waders, jump in, type in, what about Bob's on the GPS? And I drive over there. I go to the door and look in. It's empty. The lights are off. Dude, this place is closed on like a Friday. I look around and the parking lot's full. I'm like, something's going on. So I go to the next door and it says, moved next door. There's an arrow. It turns out in the two days I had been gone, they had expanded to a storefront on Main Street. So I walk in there and stupid me, I'm still wearing my cleated corkers. I should have switched out the rubber soles, but no. I step in there on the linoleum thinking the other place had rubber mats. I'd be fine. And I slip and almost land on my butt. So I kind of ticky-tack, ticky-tick, click all the way over to the front of the line. I'm like, well, I had the roast beef the other day. I'm going to order something else today. And I order the number 16, Bob's Ultimate Turkey Wrap, oven roasted turkey breast, turkey ham, turkey pastrami, mild peppers, lettuce, tomatoes, onions, garlic, provolone cheese with Bob's Ultimate Sub Sauce on that huge sandwich again with an order of fries. And I had something to drink in the car. I think my wife bought me a big Arizona iced tea. I'm sitting down waiting for my food, and I see there's two guys to my left of me sitting down there wearing waders too. So I was like, hey, guys, how's the fishing been? They're like, well, it was good until the water started rising. It started raining down here. And sure enough, on my drive over, it started to rain. So I um, pack up my sandwich. I pay. It's like $6 again for a paper bag like you bring your elementary school luncheon full of hand-cut fries. And my sub. I go down, put on my layers. I stand underneath the SUV top and I pop open an ice cold moosehead beer and I eat my half a sandwich and warm fries. Those fries were awesome. And uh, I got a full belly. There's another guy who's uh, switching lines out on his reel. I was like, hey man, how's it going? He's like, oh, it was awesome this morning. I hooked two, but you know, the rain came and it turned off. I'm like, well, I'm here. I'm going to fish. So I go down to the river and I see him standing in that first big hole. I walk upstream and wait out about four or five feet, start tossing some flies. And like, dude, I'm just on a high right now. Not only did I get another phenomenal sandwich, 
but I caught a steelhead this morning by myself with like minimal help from anybody just telling me where to go. Two guys walk down river and they've each got a steelhead on a stringer and big chrome like hens. And I'm just like, all right, my day is ruined. You know, everyone's got to eat, but um, you know, their tax dollars are paying for steelhead. But as a fly fisherman, it hurts you to see a steelhead on a stringer just because it's like a very noble fish for us that they can return to the river each year and they're crazy fighters and they hit the fly with just aggressive vengeance. And I'm like, oh man, I'm just bummed. I'm going to fish a little bit more. It's pouring rain. And then lo and behold, another guy walks down river, the spinning rod. He's got a two steelhead dragging just in the gravel, just disrespecting the king of fish, you know? I'm like, man, all right, one more cast, I'm going to go. So I throw, I hook my fly in the tree behind me, I break it off. I'm like, all right, I'm done. Go to the car, just don't even take off my waders, grab my sandwich, a couple extra fries, sit in the front seat, and I gun it out of there. And um, the other day, it was snowing on the way back. This time, it was pouring rain. So it, it was about a two and a half to three hour drive. Wasn't as bad as the way in because you know it was rainy, not snowing. I get back around 6 p.m. and uh, tell my wife, I'm like, ah, I caught a steelhead. And I take out the pictures on the digital camera and show her. And um, it was awesome. You know, I did it. It was um, a great trip that I planned with little to no um, planning research. It was minimal. And it was successful. And steelhead aren't easy fish to catch. And I just feel very proud of myself that I went out there and, you know, I was able to catch one. Um, so that's about it for the fly fishing in Ohio trip. Um, hope this maybe gave you some information about, you know, the, the Lake Erie tribs and what's called steelhead alley. I've put the blog up. I've got pictures of the steelhead I caught, never got the guy's name. So I couldn't, uh, say, Hey, I've got a picture. You holding my steelhead pictures that you took, you know, if you want to see them. So I don't know, maybe he'll Google the guy from Washington, DC and steelhead fishing. Uh, came back, you know, unpacked my gear and, uh, now it's time to start focusing on winter carp and, and bass, and then we got uh, the shad run in a couple months. So it was a good end of the year. I ended the year on a high note, and uh, that made me feel really good. My wife got an iPad for uh, the holidays, and I got two days of steelhead fishing. So I thank you for downloading the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. I'm going to send this away to Jason, who's going to polish it up. Jason, take it away. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, visit www.robsnowwhite.com. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.